The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Oh, well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Paul, welcome back. Good to be here. Henry Hatter uh, had to step away, but he'll rejoin us in uh, just a little bit. Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And uh, we have with us this week, sitting in for our roundtable, former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. You know, I've got a sort of time. You keep up with the news, but you've missed one thing that, you need to be changing my uh, biography or my introduction to include the fact that I am now a Tony Award nominee. Oh, really? Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's true, and it's a very unexpected development in my life. But um, the musical Paradise Square has received ten Tony nominations, and I am a co-producer of that show. So uh, that means makes me a nominee. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> very it, impressive. It, it, and it's yeah, it's uh, down here. Uh, the, the awards you may not know this, but they were announced Monday morning, and um, it made a little bit of local news down here. Which people said, "What? You know that guy?" I did. <laughs> I I no. did miss that. When when are the uh, awards being handed out or announced? They. They they announce the nominations Monday morning, and the award ceremony itself, which will be televised, is on Sunday, the 12th of June. And the story here, it's very interesting. I don't have a background in this, as you, you both know, yeah. but, uh, but um, I was at a business meeting uh, in January, and one of the folks that does a little bit of work at a line group where, I, where I'm a, you know, the vice chairman, is Joe Crowley. Joe Crowley is the former congressman who was actually beaten by AOC uh, four or five years ago, whenever that was. And and uh, I was sitting at dinner with Joe. I said, Joe, what have you been doing? And he started talking about Paradise Square because he's been helping develop the show and raise money for it for for uh, several years. So he's, he's got Irish heritage. And this is a show, it's very interesting. Um, it's about... Uh, Lower Manhattan, a five points area in the Civil War, and the intermingling oh. of intermingling of freed blacks and Irish immigrants, and how they get along, their their, their marriages, and then there then there's then it 
culminates with the draft riots after Lincoln puts in the draft, and uh, it's it's a quite a it's a compelling story. It's it's uh, very provocative, but um, so Joe wasn't trying to sell me on this. He was just telling me this at dinner, you know, two friends talking. And uh, we talked about it for five or ten minutes. Or something. And the next morning I said to him, I said, you know, Joe, that is so great what you told me about, about Paradise Square. Um, I'm only upset because you didn't give me a chance to get involved. He said, it's not too late. You can still invest. <laughs> and, and because what happened is this is a case of, uh, you know, Broadway was struggling because of the virus and, sure. and starting and stopping. And they needed some more money. They had already they had delayed it. Yet the opening on Broadway once again till April. And uh, he said, "Well, if you're interested, go ahead and look at the website. It's got a full website, lots of reviews from the previews in Chicago." And I took a look, and then I read a lot of the reviews, and then I talked to the one of the two people putting the show together, and I decided to uh, jump on this. <laughs> at any rate, so lo and behold, I found myself. And above the title co-producer and went in uh, the start of April for the opening. And uh, I've got to say this, the New York Times and some of the uh, some of the major critics didn't like the show that much. But uh, but the pe- folks on the nominating committee thought better of it. So we got 10 nominations. Anyway, well, that's a long uh, anyway, it's very exciting. And, and people down here in coastal Mississippi are so excited they, because you know, people from down here don't get involved in Broadway at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, people have been working on this for years. I just was at the right time at the right place and it sort of jumped on late, but it's just sort of an exciting change, but noteworthy for your introduction, Tom. That's well, it, oh, it that, is. That, that's a very it exciting is kind indeed. of thing to hear. And see, now I'm, I'm going to have to track it because at some point in the future, I may be able to announce you as not only a high-ranking government official, uh, former in two presidential administrations, but a Tony Award-winning <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. As, as, as as a nominee, Mark, are you then invited to uh, to the ceremony? That's what I'm told. That's what I'm told. So, uh, yeah, as a producer, because there are more producers. It's not the same thing as you know the lead actress uh, who's spectacular in this show. Uh, she, she, all the uh, all those folks, of course, go. But there are. Uh, a couple dozen uh, co-producers on each of these shows, really, just because. Yeah, but it's not unusual. It's not unusual, Mark, when the when the producers get an award, to see all twenty or thirty of them up there. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. And I've I'm seen that, that happen. One. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'll be looking for you in your tux and. Uh, <laughs> yes. This, yeah, will broadca- this will be broadcast on. Was it June twelfth? You said. June twelfth on CBS oh. is my understanding, and it, it, Sunday evening. So, but anyway, but for your folks who get to New York, it's a this is a show is provocative. It's not a happy show. It's not the Music Man. It it, it sort of treats some serious issues: race relations, gov- the role of government, uh, the Civil War, you know, lots of things. And uh, and uh, but it's really it got nominated for best choreography and best score. So there's oh. there's a lot of singing and dancing. <laughs> I, I, people, I didn't know this, but. Uh, no, that's where tap dancing was uh, developed during that period down in that area. Most people believe, and, and uh, so it's quite. It's it, there's a lot in there, and uh, I recommend it to your audience. <laughs> yeah. Well, see now I'm I'm looking forward to see if they're going to do, uh, you know, some some public television or Netflix uh, 
uh, knockoff from the from the Broadway show. Well, this is what happened. And of course, as I looked into this, I did not. I, you know, I grew up in I grew up in Yonkers, New York, and then lived in the city for six years after I finished school. Uh, one of the nice things about all this, Joe, what Joe said to me was, um, New York doesn't come back until Broadway comes back. And and one of the things that I realized was. Uh, uh, we need New York to come back for the country to come back from all this because every country has a great city and New York is ours. And so I said to myself, you know, to some degree as a center-right Republican, I've been rooting against New York and all the, the, <laughs> the, the what I think is some of the crazy policies. But that's not right. And and this has re-sort uh, of inserted me into the New York story a, a little bit, which I enjoy. But what will happen, Tom, is, and this is obviously a boost for the show in terms of the ability to sell tickets, but... But if, it, if there's sufficient demand, then you develop companies that go on tour. They go to places like, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Detroit or, right. or Grand Rapids. And, and, um, and uh, they have two or three tours around the country. And uh, that's how people in places like Michigan who won't get to New York, they, get, they, get, uh, they see live theater. The, the other thing I'd say about it, another reason why I did support this is I, I think, as I've expressed to you both, I have real concerns about the drift of our society and the fixation on the phones and the uh, technology. It matters whether we have some live theater in, as a part of our culture. And, oh, I agree. Uh, so broad, you know, it's worth supporting. Anyway, that's, a, that's my commercial, but it's all... Nah, it's fine. Square. <laughs> well, anyway. No, we'll we'll look for the look for the award ceremony, and maybe with some luck, we'll get to see the play around here in Michigan sometime. That's, you never know. You, know, you never know. Paul. That's one of the things that that makes me so fond of Mark Everson is the the, the things that he gets himself into. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it is great. Story. It's interesting, Tom. They did a they they did a little local television piece on this Monday night, and it's got two themes. You know, one is, wow, somebody from down here uh, is had a role, how, albeit limited in a major Broadway show, but the people who know me generate a lot of comments on Facebook and other these things. They like the story that people are still recreating themselves at age 67. And uh, <laughs> there's, something, there's something to that, what you just re- referenced, that, that everybody... We were talking earlier in the show about pessimism and concerns about the drift in the country. Uh, everybody has an ability to create a new narrative if they if they give it an effort. And this was just a case where an opportunity came along, and I I grabbed it, and I'm glad I did. Oh, that's wonderful, Mark! And, yeah. and congratulations on the nomination. Yes. You, know, you know what they say? It's it's <laughs> always nice to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Anyway, okay. Well, of all the newly drawn congressional districts in Michigan, from a political perspective, the most mysterious, the most tantalizing, the one that seems as though it should lean toward one party but may lean toward another is based, of course, in Macomb County. It is only fitting that the 10th congressional district represents the heart of that most notable of bellwether counties and that when the election is decided in November there's a good chance it will determine whether Michigan's soon-to-be 13-member congressional delegation is more Democrat than Republican or vice versa. It's a 50-50 district. 
The base is more Democratic than Republican, said Ed Sarpolis, a uh, pollster with Target Insight in Lansing, who has done a lot of work in Macomb and has polled the district, but if you don't speak their language, they won't vote for you. This year, there are indications that Republicans may have the advantage. Um, now, this is, this is a district that voted for uh, Obama twice and then Trump twice. But it's also the home of the Reagan Democrats, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, is, uh, but the question is, um, is Macomb County going to be different moving forward? And is party a factor in Macomb County? Because it's always been about blue-collar appeal. Hmm. I will the party matter, or will it still be about who speaks their language? Oh, I think it'll be who speaks their language. But again, as I say, that I think I'm guessing the the Trump appeal is gonna is gonna be there. At least it certainly seems to have been there for the state Republican convention a, a couple of weeks ago, and so forth. So I I suspect that's still going to be a significant factor. I just think this gets you into the national conversation, Tom, and, and um, the narrative on the Biden administration is so unrelentingly negative. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very struck uh, by, you know, obviously the concern on inflation, but the crime is now a big issue, too, all over the country. And um, the president's trying to change that narrative. He gave his speech, maybe you're going to get to this later, yesterday about inflation and what, what are the Republicans doing about it. But I... I mean, I think everything Paul just said about uh, about Trump is true too. But if if people were satisfied with how things were going right now, there it might be a little bit of a diminished appeal to the to the Republicans. But they're not satisfied. Nobody's satisfied right now. Uh, and not the 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 you know the flying ointment or the big change, of course, is what will the impact of anything, if any, be on of the court decision when it comes on, on the Dobbs case, but we'll see. Uh, but I, I don't think you can talk about, you got a short-term issue, and then you got the long-term issue, and that's on any congressional district is what I would say. Yeah. Of course, the other thing is, historically, the first midterm after a presidential election is almost always bad for the party in the White House, even when they're, they're popular, and that's not the case right now with, uh, with Biden. So it could be a very rough year for Democrats. I, I agree with that. And, Paul, you know, even back, I remember I joined the Reagan administration in July of 1982, and there was a sense of panic. And there was a lot of writing, just as you're saying about Macomb, because of what you talked about, Reagan Democrats and everything else. So yeah, that, that, that's always been a well, that's a district that people look at uh, from across the country. Well, yeah, it's like Orange County in uh, California. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I couldn't tell you. Uh, well, I lived out in California for a little while, so I could probably come up with a few counties. But most people could only name one county in California, uh, or maybe <laughs> <true>. two: L. <laughs> a. County and Orange County would be. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we got to yeah. take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Biden and his numbers and some of what he's had to say and a number of other things uh, from the national uh, headlines in um, 
politics and current events when armchair politics continues so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll be back with more armchair politics on the tom sumner program right after Hello, this darling. this is Elvira, mistress of the dark with tom sumner I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Henry had to step away for a little bit, but hopefully he'll rejoin us in the next uh, few minutes or so. And uh, they're joined today by uh, Mark Everson, who uh, is uh, <laughs> a Tony-nominated former uh, <laughs> former uh, high-ranking government official from two presidential administrations. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. And um, I mentioned we were going to move on to some things from Washington. President Joe Biden on Tuesday blamed the COVID-19 pandemic and Russia's war in Ukraine for troubling economic news as he and his administration went on the defensive over mounting inflation and rising gas prices. The president's speech at the White House was advertised by his advisors as being focused on his plan to fight inflation. I think that might be... That is Henry. Well, I'll just go ahead and add him right in here there Henry are you with us yes I am all right well, welcome, welcome back, back. thank you um, anyway <clears throat> let, me, let me get back into this uh, where did I leave off uh, while Biden uh, did speak about inflation he spent a significant amount of time attacking Republicans for a plan put out by the head of the Senate GOP's campaign arm rather than laying out any new proposals to combat the worst inflation the country has seen in 40 years. Biden said combating inflation is his top domestic priority and acknowledged families all across America are hurting. They're frustrated. I don't blame them. I really don't blame them. There's a lot we have to do, Biden said. When asked by CNN's Jerry or Jeremy uh, Diamond, rather, if his administration bears some responsibility for the rising prices, the president said, I think our policies help, not hurt. What happened to Democrats like Truman and Kennedy, in Kennedy in different words, but who say the buck stops here? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking more of the James Carville comment, that this, the economy's stupid. I mean, it's, whatever the causes, whatever, whatever the reasons you give, it's, if it's good, you're going to get credit. If it's bad, you're going to get blamed. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we are condemning. We're condemning the president. We're condemning Biden. But there are people behind him. He's a puppet, and they're giving him all of this direction and saying things for him. I don't believe that. He, I believe that Biden could be an honorable man. But we don't. We can't see him for all of the other noise he's got around him. Well, that's that's <laughs> true of um, a, a lot of people that find themselves in uh, in quote leadership positions. But we 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 condemn them from all sides. <clears throat> yeah, and he's not the Yeah, he's you know I I want to give blame to the where it belongs. So I, I uh, think your question, Tom, is a sort of a threshold question. Joe Biden ran as a centrist. 
in the big Democratic debate, the first one, he was the only one who said no. If someone crosses the border illegally, that should still be a crime. Remember that debate? And yeah. everybody yeah. was saying, oh, yeah. decriminalizes. And he said, and he said, he said oh, no, I'm a centrist. The Democrats picked me. They didn't pick Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. But then as soon as he got in office, uh, he decided he wanted to be the new FDR, and he moved way over to the left. Larry Summers, who had been the uh, Clinton Treasury Secretary at the end of the two terms, and then a senior guy for Obama, he said, do not, do not spend trillions of dollars. It will unleash inflation. And he's a good Democrat, but he was thrown over, and uh, he was proven entirely correct. So the administration, the American people don't buy the idea that it was Putin's war or it was, uh, you know, yeah. the virus. It was spending these trillions of dollars have helped to cause this inflation. <clears throat> when, I, when I talk to people, uh, conversations I've had, uh, they feel that this will be with us for a couple years, that the Fed sort of missed the boat. They also bought this idea. Oh, it's just temporary, but it's going to take a couple of years to work through this, even with rate increases that the Fed have started because of the supply chain issues and everything else. So I don't think that the president is going to be successful in shifting the blame here. I think he would be better off. Mark, saying, what do you think? What do you think pulled him so far to the left after uh, after he got sworn in? Was it? Does he believe that's where the votes are? Because I he, don't know. He was a centrist. I, that's true. Yeah, historically, he had been for for all of his career. But guys, you can't have it both ways. In one case, you're saying that he doesn't have the capacity to lead. And you're condemning him for all of the things that goes on. I can only see, and I don't typically do this. I don't blame all Democrats for what we're in. I, and, 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 uh, but in this case, it looks, since I can't think, put the finger on Biden, it has to be the Democrats. Well, you know. the thing, you know, I guess the one response to that question, I would say, is this is a creature of the... Uh, of the Congress, and I spent decades in the Congress as senator. I think he was a senator when he was like elected when he was 29, took the office when he was 30 or something. And, and uh, you know, he's been there a long time. So he wants to cut deals, but they had the thinnest of majorities. Didn't even have yeah. a majority in the Senate. And that, and then I think he struggled with being an executive. He's been less effective uh, in the executive branch, and you, you don't have to. The other thing, and that sort of conflated with what surprised me is. He's stubborn. He overruled his generals on the Afghan withdrawal. They said, That's don't true. do this. Leave, leave some people there. And yet he was stubborn because he didn't get his way back in the Obama administration on this, some of the build issues. Uh, I, I, I don't think that um, he's, not, he's not adjusting. The one thing he's done all right uh, is, though, in the Ukraine, I think they learned some lessons from from the debacle, a terrible debacle in Afghanistan, and I think he's he's done a good job of sort of you know rallying the cause there. But uh, on the economy, I think they're going to pay a terrible price come November. Terrible. And that's always so, that's always the key issue so for right. every election. It really is. So um, you think he he has the capacity to lead? Is this what you're saying? And he's doing. I'm sorry. Say that. Say that again, Henry. You're, you're saying that he has the capacity to lead. And he's leading this country. 
I think that yeah, I don't I don't buy this argument that he's a puppet. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that I don't think it helps anything to speak that way. But it, can he be influenced on certain issues? He may say these are my priorities and these are the four things I'm working on. But now you're you've got. People disagree about what to do about the inflation, and it's uh, the idea that they're going to suddenly come up with a magic bullet. Uh, what's he going to do? Pick one from column A and two from column B? That's it's a hard it's a hard measure. And uh, he he I, again, this is the nature of we we pick senators to run things, and sometimes they want to cut deals as yeah. opposed to people who have executive experience and sort of say, "No, I'm only going to go this far." I mean, whatever you say, what you want to about Reagan, he but he he had a set of principles. And I can tell you from being at a, you know mid level in the administration, everybody understood where he stood. Where he stood, but I'm not convinced that if you're in the Biden administration, you know what you know how much space you have. Uh, and it, of course, it, with Trump, it was even worse because you had no idea if you were working, running an agency or you know a deputy secretary, would he go? Would the boss go for this? Because he didn't have any real principles. You know, I, I want to Republicans to correct to say that that Biden does not have the capacity to lead. No, I wonder to what degree did he feel he only had two years to make a mark. I mean, considering what may happen in, in November, I mean, if, and I suspect, I mean, we'll see whether he goes for a second term or not, but I suspect he, his feeling was he had two years to make a mark, so he's going to play a strong hand, and you know, if Republicans take control of the Congress in November, uh, he's going to be treading water for the next two years, I suspect. So I think that that could be an issue, too. Well, I and, and I, 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 go and ahead. All I say is he he should have cut a deal with Manchin and Cinema in November and yeah. gotten a, a trillion dollar build back better. He could yep. have done it then, but That's now true. it's now it's too late. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just he, I think he he didn't have two years to do a deal. He had one year to make a mark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he really did, and and I just I find it kind of interesting and wonder about the the strategy of it all, and it it sort of speaks to Henry's question about whether or not you know he has the capacity to lead. I I think mm -hmm. in that particular position, he felt that he had to have people following him in order to lead, and and I think he. I think he went to the um, the extreme of his party to drum up support and votes um, by by uh, championing their issues. Look, he you know he gave this State of the Union speech. He said we're going to work with the Republicans, and then uh, you know how long did that last? Not very long in terms yeah. of the rhetoric. Anyway. <laughs> These days, how long does it ever last? True. Um, so I so I, I don't want to say. Look, I'm not saying he's at the top of his game anymore. I think there's been some deterioration, but, 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 um, and I'd be surprised if he does run again. I really would be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, in spite of the talk, I think uh, he's probably going to take a pass on the second term. Is my guess. Yeah. So, uh, no matter how we take this, whether the Republicans condemn him for the lack of capacity, or whether his inability to make good decisions and uh, try to run ahead of his party and do something so that uh, he looks as though he's accomplished something in the first two years. Yeah, that's. I think people say politically, usually it's about now. If you don't have 
people reach their judgments about how they're going to vote in uh, May, June, July. They don't. They don't suddenly, unless it's extremely close. Their trends. Most trends develop, and you know, one good month of economic news or two good months of economic news or inflation is not going to change the narrative if it does. You know, if it's, it's if it takes place in September, October. But if you guys are right uh, that this is a he, he bungled up his strategy, and the Republicans are right that he does not, uh, he's not leading, and he's made mistakes. The chances are we're going to have a Republican and we're going to change the Senate. If that's how you feel. Well, that's like right, Harry, but the only, the only question is, you know, is this Dobbs decision? And by the way, it's a Mississippi case. So down here we call it Do- the Dobbs case. <laughs> that's, that's, anyway, <laughs> I mean, I do think, I do think in the margins um, that, may have, that might have ginned up a lot of enthusiasm amongst Democrats. Yeah, if the situation were a little less dire, but I still think that the the bad narrative about the administration is going to overwhelm even that activism that might take place in suburbs and other areas. But that's still out there. Well, here's another thing that that just keeps on giving. It's a refrain that former Senator David Perdue has made a centerpiece of his campaign for governor in Georgia. The election in 2020 was rigged and stolen, Purdue asserted at a recent debate. Mm. Purdue's former Senate GOP colleagues, however, are less than impressed. It's absurd, said Senator Mitt Romney of Utah when asked about the remarks of Purdue, his former colleague. I think the effort to try and overturn an election when there is at this stage no evidence of widespread fraud is detrimental to democracy and insulting to the American public. Hell yes, one of Purdue's closest Senate friends told CNN when asked if he was surprised by his ex-colleague's campaign transformation. I don't know whether he believes it or not. I really don't, said Senator Kevin Kramer, a North Dakota Republican, but I'm sure it's a political strategy. If there's an ongoing fight over the 2020 presidential election, is the battlefield between the two parties or within the GOP? I'm thinking within the GOP. I mean, you're seeing that you saw that to some degree here in Michigan with the state convention, and you see it a little bit in some other states as well. So I. I'm struck by the fact that here and there, I'm saying, I mean, maybe Henry can respond to this as well, but I'm seeing more and more Republicans not quite denounce the whole idea, but at least pulling away from the idea of, of the 2020 election uh, and trying to, to make some distance between themselves and that whole issue. Um, having said that, still, Trump is still beating the drum on that with all of his rallies and so forth. Yeah, Trump is an enigma, guys. We haven't been able to figure him out yet. Nobody has his influence. But there's still a Republican Party, an independent body, that will be here long after uh, the current past president will be. Henry, I've heard heard of the ten Republicans running for, for for the gubernatorial nomination, Nine of them have, to one degree or another, embraced Trump. One is a little more neutral, I gather. But still, it's almost unanimous that of the 
10 who are running for governor here in Michigan, that nearly all of them have in one way or another embraced Trump. And I'm not sure if they've all gone to the denial of the 2020 election issue, but embraced Trump to some degree. And I'm Trump glad is you likable, guys. He's uh, likable. I'm glad you mentioned that, Paul, because uh, I have invited all 10 to be on the show. And starting next Wednesday, the next couple of Wednesdays, um, during the hour preceding uh, armchair politics, oh. I will be talking to the GOP candidates for governor. I look forward to hearing those, especially. I'm, yeah. I'm going to yeah. try and do them every Wednesday morning going right up to the... Uh, right up to the primary and and uh and people's sense that many people who really support trump right now are people who think that trump has been victimized no matter what you say about the election or anything they just think that uh between the press and democrats and others that trump is victimized so people will generally move on the side of the victim if they feel an injustice has been done it's hard to figure out but that's how it is Oh, yeah, you, know, you do. You do hear that, Henry. That's true. Oh, yeah, um, it's 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 an urban-rural divide, and to some degree, almost a class divide that you're seeing on the Trump issue. Yes, uh, uh, he's very strong in Michigan right now. Trump is yeah. really strong in Michigan, Election. and he demonstrated that by the outcome of the uh, convention. Right. Well, well, look at Ohio. J.D. Vance told they recreate himself to be a. A clone of Trump as much as he could. Yeah. Now, when Trump criticizes <clears throat> Biden for him and happiness, he does it, and people listen to it. And uh, he's a voice out there that people are willing to listen to. But I'm not sure they're willing to listen to everybody because they you have know, the chance. Part of the problem is the fact that some of the folks who are most entertaining are also the most dangerous. I mean, the bottom line is it's a lot more fun to live, to hear a story. You know, if you're listening to a news story, would you rather hear a story about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about Jewish lasers or some story about uh, some subcommittee of Congress talking about tax policy? I mean, it's a lot more fun to hear about the crazy stuff about politics in some way. And in one, one, one sense, Trump is a better entertainer than he is a politician, but entertainment is, 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 uh, draws an audience. Well, that's right. And, 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 but it's getting, uh, even in a state, we're much more monolithic than a Michigan, uh, you know, we're one of the most conservative states down here. The Secretary of State, who's no flaming liberal, issued a statement over the last 24 hours saying that, no, all the election data for Mississippi is not stored in Ukraine. <laughs> it, it, you know, all of the data is in Mississippi. It's not in Ukraine. Now think about the fact that that somehow a, a, a representation like that achieved sufficient credibility that he felt it necessary to make that statement. That's quite. That shows you that people are willing to listen to the most outlandish and uh, terrible things. Uh, not that that's really terrible, it's just outlandish, but some things are terrible that are asserted now, without basis in fact. 
Well, election well, I, officials. Well, I can recall this. Remember, remember the story goes back a little bit, but when Obama had to come forward and present his birth certificate, and he sort of half apologized, saying, "This is kind of crazy for a president to have to show a birth certificate," but because of all the birther stuff, in large part from Trump. Re- remember had, the TV commercial out east, Paul, the woman that came out and said, "I'm not a witch." <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. That's, that's a great one. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a scary thought: election officials in Arizona could face criminal charges if a non-citizen registers to vote on their watch. In Iowa, a law enacted last year makes it a felony for election clerks to willfully buck state election laws, and in Florida. Election supervisors face fines of up to $25,000 for leaving a ballot drop box unattended. Across the country, election administrators face a growing number of punishing new laws uh, as Republican lawmakers move to restrict ballot access over record turnout in the 2020 election and relentless false allegations by former President Donald Trump and his allies that widespread voter fraud cost him a second term. This year alone, lawmakers have introduced 16 different bills in eight states that create new criminal or civil penalties for functions associated with running elections, according to Will Wilder, who works on voting rights at the left-leaning Brennan Center for Justice. Taken together with the threats and harassment election officials have faced and other laws that make it easier to remove them from their jobs, it all adds up to an attack on professionalized election administration, he said. What are the chances that if people begin shying away from so-called professional and volunteer positions Mm -hmm. that American elections could end up privatized? Yeah, that's got to be a worry. That's got to yep. be a worry. <clears throat> that's a thought, because I don't think people can stand much more of this before they turn it over to a more um, aggressive kind of system. And I think the big worry there is that, you know, if and when anything like that happens, that destroys trust in the whole system. Yeah. And that, that's going to take a well, long it, time. It couldn't, happen, uh, it couldn't happen until lack of trust in the government to conduct its own elections True. is fully realized. Yeah. 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 And and besides that my 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 concern is I just hope the Democrats won't go out and when Trump went all of these elections around the country and say it was fraud. Then we gotta start all over again and and uh sway American people and disaggregate them and stuff like that. Then our system is in free fall. We we got to somehow avoid that. There, there's two levels. Of, there, yeah, I, I agree with that. And there are two levels of concern here. One is for the elected officials that are historically in charge. Like I'm talking about the Secretary of State down here. Uh, but the other is, frankly, even just poll workers. Uh, they're begging down down here. They beg for poll workers, and uh, those historically have been, uh, you know, older people who would yeah. come and, and do the election work. But it's very difficult now to attract well, individuals yeah. to just do that work. Mark, if you start telling these people that they can be uh, jailed or fined for screwing up, who wants that job? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, for, yeah, but all you got to do is just follow the protocol. Don't do anything. Don't hide anything. Don't keep your hands on the table. That's all you have you, to do. Well, but you know, it, it, it is watching. A, uh, it is a tough job for people who do it. You know, a couple oh, days sure. a year. It's, it's not like they do it, it every day. I've done it. Well, we so, got we got to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back with. Uh, with our final <clears throat> segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. 
She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, a segment that uh, we call the X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that seem uh, strange but true. And uh, we start out with one from uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula. An intoxicated man was arrested after police saw him driving a lawnmower on an Upper Peninsula highway. (laughs) According... According to an official DNR report, the incident occurred recently uh, when conservation officers Anna Viao and uh, Joshua Salas were on patrol and stopped the man. After encountering the man, the uh, COs, or conservation officers, noted that he was possibly intoxicated due to his slurred speech, watery eyes, and unsteadiness on his feet. The COs attempted to perform field sobriety tests on the man, but he was unable to complete the tests. <laughs> he, he, he then began complaining of chest and arm pain, according to the report. So the CO, COs called EMS to the scene. The man then uh, began to walk away from the scene while disobeying commands from the COs. The COs caught up to the individual and took control of him by grabbing his arms, but when he began to fight with the officers, he was taken to the ground and arrested. He has been charged with operating a motor vehicle while visibly impaired, operating a motor vehicle with a revoked driver's license, and assault on a police officer. Should riding lawnmowers be registered? No, they are not defined <laughs> as vehicles, guys. The highway sign it says no vehicles less than so much horsepower to be on highway. <laughs> and that's, uh, so they charged them with the wrong stuff. It's not a vehicle. they got to get it right. Well, and, I, uh, I tell you down here, it's a huge issue. People are driving golf carts on the roads now. Oh, yeah. Sounds of let them do that. Yeah, and that, that is, I think it's crazy because it's, it's dangerous. And the, you, know, you see people 
riding along, they'll have a two-year-old in their lap. If that, if the, if there's a little crash, that kid is going to go flying and be dead. It's just yeah. crazy what we allow people yeah. to do. And there's, um, and hopefully, most of them are not drinking. Two or three times a year, um, I end up pulling a story in about somebody that's been uh, arrested for drunk driving a riding lawnmower. Yeah. And and it just it just cracks me up. Although this one was pretty good. It it kind of sounded there for a minute like this guy was trying to get out of his uh, his DUI by faking a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like that you idea. It. Just just kind of had Red Fox written all over it. You know, a yeah. <laughs> coming to join him. Um. Well, let's see. Uh, Now, here's one in the true spirit of the X-Files. A House panel will hold an open congressional hearing Tuesday about UFOs for the first time in over 50 years. It will focus on a Pentagon program that was established last year after the U.S. intelligence community released a preliminary assessment on 144 reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon since 2004 and could explain only one. The House Intelligence Committee's Subcommittee on Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation will hold the public hearing on May 17th at 10 a.m. Eastern. It will be followed by a closed classified hearing on the Pentagon program known as the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. The two witnesses are Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security Ronald S. Moultrie and Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence Scott Bray. Is there likely to be any real UFO revelation from this hearing? I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the usual narrative. <laughs> Well, here's well, like I say, if, you, if if Marjorie Taylor Greene gets a hold of it, you never know what she's going to find here. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of accusations are going to come out of that? I'll tell you, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a smart woman. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure I'd use the word smart, Henry. Clever. I don't know. Clever, whatever you want to call it, she knows how to. Uh, she gets a lot of attention. Achieve her the end that that benefits her. Well, here's, here's kind of a fun one. When Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky autographed a baseball for an American collector in 2019, he likely had no idea it would one day be used to help his nation during a time of need. The official Rawlings Major League Baseball is being sold by Randy Kaplan, a renowned collector of baseballs signed by world leaders with a portion of the proceeds going to war relief efforts in Ukraine. Auctioneer, uh, uh, our our auction of uh, Boston said Tuesday, the ball was expected to sell for at least $15,000, but the leading bid as of Tuesday had already exceeded that amount. And our, our spokesperson said, with what's going on in the world right now, it makes sense to auction it at this point because the proceeds will help the people in Ukraine, Kaplan said in a telephone interview. What's going on in Ukraine is a disgrace and it's breaking my heart to see people dying there. 
Their needs are just so dire right now. The ball is signed with black felt tip, both in Ukrainian uh, Cyrillic and in Latin letters. It is accompanied by a transmittal letter signed by Volodymyr Yelchenko, permanent representative of Ukraine to the United Nations, which reads, Dear Mr. Kaplan, please find enclosed a baseball signed by the president of Ukraine, Mr. Volodymyr Zelensky, during a visit to New York in September 2019. Is the auction of this baseball the epitome of a home run? <laughs> to me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, what a what a nice story, you know. That's true. And and who'd have thought, you know, really, as the story said, you know, who would have thought back in 2019 that you know the the Ukrainian president um, signing a baseball would have any any significance in in funding the defense of the country? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't either. I think it's a nice gesture, but whoever bought that Marilyn Monroe painting by Warhol for $200 million ought to auction that off and give the money to you. Yes, I agree with you, Mark. I I thought the same thing when I saw it. In fact, I was surprised, although it's encouraging that the opening bid was already higher than the asking price. You know, it was already higher than the minimum bid they would accept. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this will be one of those things that started out at fifteen thousand and ends up being fifteen million. Right. You know, that that would be nice. But I I thought the same thing. I thought fifteen thousand dollars. I mean, that isn't gonna. Yeah. That's barely gonna take out a. It's, it's a nice, nice symbolic thing. That's maybe about it. It's a nice gesture. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. I, you know, I, I mean, here's a guy who collects these things, looks at it, and says, "You know, <laughs> maybe I, maybe I ought to let this one go and and raise a couple of bucks for the people in Ukraine." Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks uh, to uh, Tony Award-nominated Mark Everson for. <laughs> <laughs> Joining we'll look forward to seeing the play around here if we're lucky. Very good, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll be keeping my eye out. Mark, thanks. It's always such a pleasure when you join us. Lovely to be with you, gentlemen. And uh, and Henry Hatter on the right. Thank you so much, Henry. And uh, uh, I hope everything worked out. You had to step away for a few minutes. Yes, and, and I want to say uh, thank you uh, with due respect to our guest, uh, Mr. Everson that when he referred to uh, money should go first to those most needy, when I said that we're trying to extend democracy uh, uh, to everybody so um, <clears throat> that everybody's equal, that was in reference to, of course, conceding the fact that Everson said it best. We should preferentialize those needs. And, of course, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, thank you for being here as well. Uh, you bet. Have a good evening, everyone. All right. Thank you. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye, gentlemen. Bye-bye. And that's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody. 
Another program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.